friends, our second reading is from the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, verses 25 through 43, but it needs some context before we read it. The book of Acts is the story of how the early church was formed. And there began to be early in the book of Acts, two different foci, focus areas, yes? So one was the apostle Paul, who began as Saul, who had the road to Damascus experience, and he immediately takes the gospel to all the world, to even Gentiles. He feels that God is calling us to welcome the door, open the door and welcome everyone. But we also have Peter and the other original disciples who are rooted in Jerusalem. And they have grown up as faithful Jews. They kept the laws that they were supposed to keep in their faith, one of which found in Leviticus 11 said that the Jews were supposed to be a holy people, and as such, there were laws they should abide by, and there were foods that were considered unclean, that they should not touch or eat. And there were people who were considered unclean, unholy, profane, and they were to separate themselves from them. So by the time we pick up our story in Acts, Peter has had a vision. And in that vision, he describes a sheet coming down from heaven. And on that sheet were every kind of animal, clean and unclean. And the Lord says to Peter in the vision, Peter, go and kill any of these animals and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, that's not what scripture says I should do. So in God's graciousness for all of the hard-headed, he says it three times, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter wakes up and he knows that something has happened, but he's not quite sure what. And that's where we find ourselves in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. On Peter's arrival, a man named Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, he worshiped Peter. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up. I am only a mortal. And as Peter talked with Cornelius, he went in and found that many people had assembled. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius replied, four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them, all of the Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house. Peter said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may your word be spoken. May your spirit be in every word, and if there is anything human, may it fall away. And we pray, too, that your spirit would be in our hearts and minds, enabling us to see who you are calling us to be. Amen. I am a person who has lived pretty much my entire life in the rural South. I grew up in western North Carolina and in the county where my grandparents and great-grandparents and dad and my brother still live. When I was a kid, there were 6,000 people in that county, but there were no black people. The county was considered to have a minority population, but they were all Native Americans. There is a reservation there for the eastern band of the Cherokee Indians. And so that county was not even subject to desegregation because it was considered that the Native American population was already integrated into the community. And so I went to elementary school and high school in classes with no black classmates. My ideas about race and justice were theoretical at best. And I went to the University of Georgia, which is a very big school, but make no mistake, it's in the rural South too. 
the University of Georgia is a land-grant institution. That means that 200 years ago or so, the state dropped this university in the middle of a really rural area. And I had black classmates, but it was always in white spaces. Do you know what I mean? It was in places where it was predominantly white. Most of the teachers were white. That carried over into my seminary career. We had a lot of Korean Americans, but not many black students. And then I was looking for a doctoral program. I got two pieces of advice when looking for a doctoral program to attend. One was... A doctoral program is hard. Do it in something you love, or it's going to be a long, hard slog. And for me, that was preaching. And the second piece of advice I got was from my favorite, most beloved pastor uh, and professor. Dr. Bartlett told me to look at this program in Chicago. He taught there, and he felt like it was the best preaching program in the country. I should also note it was one of the only. There are only like two doctorate programs in preaching for ministers, which is weird. So I went to Chicago, and the way that program worked is that five seminaries from the Chicago area came together for this one program in preaching. There were three white seminaries, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and Episcopalian, and two African-American seminaries. And so for the first time in my life, I walked into a classroom where I was the minority and my teacher was also black. First time ever. And it was uncomfortable because it was so very different. I don't think you can really explain how different it is unless you've been in that place. I was just some random person from the South, and this was very different. Three days after our program began, Dylan Roof walked into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and prayed with a group of black people and then killed them all. And I was horrified, as all of the nation was. But I realized that my black classmates, my black friends, they had a grief that was generations deep. They had seen their parents flee the South in the wake of the civil rights movement, looking for better opportunity in the North. They had great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents who were enslaved. And I can't explain to you the grief that was in that room that this is still where we are as a nation. It took on a new texture, and a new depth to see them walk through that. So as is the case with small classes, everybody gets to know everyone. We go out to lunch. We go out to dinner together. And one of our classes, if you can believe this, there was a professor that didn't like me. I'm as shocked as you are. (laughs) And all of my classmates were like, yeah, she really doesn't like you. And I'm like, I know but I'm so awesome. How could she not? And so one day at dinner with three of my black classmates, two white, we're talking and I am going on and on about the utter injustice of me not being liked. I mean, she hardly called on me. Didn't she know the pearls of wisdom I had to offer? And I am so mad 
because it's not based on anything. And she has the power. And literally, I think my whole attitude was, heads are going to roll. You know, I'm not being treated fairly. And God bless Alvin, who looked at me and said, you know, Tara, some of us had to learn long ago that a lot of things that are unfair happen, and you just have to eat it and keep moving forward. I'd never had to do that. But Alvin had probably been in a lot of white spaces where he wasn't treated as he should, and he had to eat it and keep moving forward. And Alvin's parents and grandparents had a long history of injustice, true injustice, and being treated unfairly and having to swallow it down and keep moving forward. And I was so ashamed of myself. For the first time in my life, I was faced with my deep ignorance, with my racism, and really how else could it have been? I am a product of my time and place, and I thank God that that's the program I chose because they taught me a little bit about preaching, but they taught me a whole lot about humanity. Peter's having to learn about humanity in our passage from Acts today. Peter's whole life in his holy scriptures, he has been taught that Gentiles are other They're unclean. They're not God's people. His whole life he has been taught that. And then he has this vision. And God shows him that there's no such thing anymore as clean or unclean. There is only God's gift of creation. And then this man named Cornelius, a centurion, a Gentile, a Roman soldier the oppressor of this area, comes to him and says, I too had a vision, and God called me to come to you. Will you come speak to my household? And the Bible doesn't say it, but I wonder if Peter felt what I did. Uncomfortable, anxious, aware of my own ignorance, not sure what this would bring but believing that it is the Holy Spirit who put him in that place. And so he goes. To even walk into a Gentile's home would have meant that he would be outcast from his community, let alone have a meal with them, which is what he does. You know what's interesting? Right after this passage, in the 11th chapter, the third verse, he goes back to Jerusalem, and everyone is upset not because he baptized them, but because he ate with them. You ate with them? All of his preconceived ideas about who they were, it had to fall away because what God has to show Peter is that God shows no partiality. None. It is the same thing that Paul tells us when he writes, no longer Is there Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus our Lord? It is the most radical and important idea of the New Testament. 
that all sin and fall short from the glory of God, and yet we are all still beloved and called as God's children. I wonder if Peter felt like I did, like maybe that little bird did, that you're just falling and you don't know where you're going to land and it is scary, but you take that first step on faith because you think that's where God is calling you. Peter has a vision. He doesn't know what it means. But when Cornelius comes, he trusts that the Holy Spirit is in this interaction. And so he takes the first step and the second step, regardless of what he feels, regardless of what he's learned in the past, he takes another step. And what he comes to find is that the Holy Spirit rests even on Gentiles. Regardless of tradition, regardless of race, regardless of ideas of what is good or bad, clean or unclean, the Spirit of God calls us all to equality. God sees no partiality, friends, and we aren't supposed to either. And that is challenging. That is frightening. I have to tell you, I've been terrified this week to share my ignorance with you. I would like to pretend I have it all together. But it's not true, because I'm that kid from Robbinsville, North Carolina, who grew up in white spaces. And I thank God for the chance to be in spaces where I'm challenged and where I have the faith to remember that the Holy Spirit is there. I think as Christians we are to remember that we are to show the rest of the world what the kingdom may look like. And that means that we have to remember that there is no partiality, no difference, no preference for God. All are invited in and valued as children of God. And so that means then that we should challenge ourselves to love the people we don't know, even the people we do know that we consider unlovable. And it will be uncomfortable and frightening, but we have to always remember that the Holy Spirit is there. We take the first step in faith, and we rely on God to show us the rest. Because there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. All are one in Christ Jesus our Lord. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.